every four years we elect a president in the United States. That means media manipulation and propaganda will be pushed on the American people 24-7 for a year or more before an election. Both major parties will be claiming their view of the country is the right one. Billions and billions of dollars will be spent to influence the thoughts, attitudes, decisions, and actions of voters. I am a self-confessed news junkie. I want to know what's going on in the world, and yes, I am interested in what the candidates are saying or not saying. Of course, what they say is not always what they really mean. Many voters really don't care when a politician lies. The politician keeps getting re-elected. Here's my problem. The challenge I face is to not allow the news, the speeches, the national polls, and the talking heads influence my point of view and especially my worldview. We all face that challenge. Today we live in a deeply divided country where many people interpret their world based on the political party or the minority group they support. A party's platform and views championed by the politicians as well as media influencers dramatically influence how people see the nation and culture. What is our worldview? A worldview is the lens through which we see the world. Our personal worldview has been shaped by our parents, close friends, teachers or professors, coaches, our school choices, our career decisions, our region of the country, our ethnic group, our economic status, and the list goes on and on. Today, I hope to make sure that we see the world the nation, and our lives, not through the lens of politics, mass media, or social media, but by the Bible. The Bible gives us a worldview that is older and more accurate than anything you will hear from the major political parties today. If we want to know, really know, how our nation is doing, we don't look at the economic data or opinion polls. We certainly don't want to depend upon politicians telling the truth about the world. We need to look at the Bible. So what does the Bible say about America? What does the Bible say about the world? First, consider what the nation or world says about the Bible. Our nation has witnessed an attack on God's Word and those who attempt to share it. In many schools, government buildings, and corporate offices, it is safe to have a book on your desk declaring any belief system, as long as it's not the Bible. Now, here's where our worldview meets reality. A nation cannot flourish when God's word is ignored, mocked, rejected, and attacked. That matters to us, not only because we live in this nation, but also because the same principle applies to individuals. The teaching of God's word is to be the main thing in churches, whether mega or house. The church needs to take a stand and uphold the inspiration, reliability, and authority of God's Word. The authority of God's Word means we are to obey the Bible over modern thought. The need for the Bible to be understood and applied is the reason why I launched the Discover the Bible podcast and became a member of the Discover Bible Church here in Ohio. I invite you to listen to the Discover the Bible podcast intro for a fuller explanation. Now, because the Bible has been rejected, 
we have seen a shift in the morals of our nation. In today's culture, moral absolutes are considered a thing of the past. Belief in the absolute truth of the Bible is often met with ridicule, derision, and even personal attacks. Today, it is quite normal for a person to believe that there are no absolute truths. And then, without batting an eye, the same person will tell you that the Bible is wrong absolutely. Without moral absolutes, without a firm right and wrong, it is impossible to recognize sin, evil, or even perversion. Today, it's hard to find a sin or perversion that isn't defended by someone on social media, in Congress, or on the Supreme Court. Sadly, the mindset of many Christians has been influenced by the moral confusion of the day. Some who claim to be believers will tell a lost and fallen world, Who am I to judge? Do and be whatever you want to be. It appears that the only judgment our society holds on to is the judgment against those who believe in the principles of the Bible. Today, the Bible, individual Christians, and the church that preaches God's Word are considered offensive. Pedophilia has now been watered down to minor attraction and is more accepted than the clear teaching of God's Word. The fallen state of our nation and world is not new nor unique in human history. We have seen the same story repeated over and over again in the book of Judges. The stories found in chapters 17 and 18 and chapters 19 and 21 tell the story of a nation that degenerated and turned away from God in only three generations. These chapters are seldom preached from. The chapters tell a story of moral depravity, unadulterated wickedness, deep-seated evil, horrible violence, including rape, murder, and genocide. If you're looking for a safe space, this is not the place today. And if you haven't noticed already, this message is not politically correct, nor would it be accepted in every church. Now, here's a warning. The events in the final chapters are horrifying and may not be suitable for young years. These chapters should be of importance to us because newspapers, news shows, and social media report the same societal degradation the people of Israel faced. And, like ancient Israel, many nations in our world refuse to acknowledge God or His Word. Now listen, history is clear. When God is rejected in a culture, anything goes. The main point for this message is simply this. Spiritual compromise destroys a nation. In part one, we looked at the individual consequences of placing self in charge while rejecting God and His Word. We saw that resulted in other people being harmed. Now in part two, we will see a nation face the consequences of spiritual compromise. The story will go from the evil of one city and the murder of one individual to the death of thousands and the suffering of hundreds of thousands. As we begin, we should remember the political and spiritual condition of the nation of Israel during the time of the Judges. The condition of Israel was summarized in Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We know from earlier chapters that God himself wanted to be king. The following is what happens when a nation or a culture rejects God as the authority for life and living. 
Instead of accepting God as their king, the citizens and leaders claimed authority over their own lives. Often, they would even dress it up a bit by democratic voting. But nonetheless, they were living under their own authority. United in their decisions, they communicated to God through their thoughts and actions that they did not need Him, His wisdom, His guidance, and especially His authority over them. Their leadership and the vote of the people were all the authority they needed. The final chapters in Judges communicate these simple and yet profound truths. 1. When God is rejected, people suffer. 2. When God's authority is mocked, evil appears. And 3. When anything and everything is acceptable in a culture and in a nation, pain will follow. Chapter 19 was a description of the circumstances surrounding the sexual assault and murder of a woman and her husband's grotesque call for retribution against the men who were guilty. It's worth noting that in presenting the news to the nation, the husband failed to mention his part in her death. Evidently, when a person follows a self-centered lifestyle, that person will shift the blame to others for the negative consequences of their own decisions. We pick up the story now with the husband returning home. Judges 19, 29, and 30. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. Instead of honoring and caring for the body of his beloved, he used pieces to hopefully enrage the nation into a response. At the end of part one, the question was asked, what would be the nation's response? We see the response in chapter 20. Judges 20, verses 1 and 2. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead. And the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. And so, how upset was the nation? The Bible says 400,000 armed soldiers were among those who turned out for the assembly. That's a huge number. They were going to respond to this abomination. The split in the nation began with this assembly. Judges chapter 20, verse 3. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. And the people of Israel said, Tell us, how did this happen? Thus we see the Benjaminites refused to participate, and Israel wanted to know the full story. Judges 20, 4 through 7. And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she is dead. So I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. 
Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. In the telling of the story, the Levite became the victim. I came. They surrounded the house against me. They meant to kill me. Self-centered and narcissistic tendencies tend to proliferate when God's word is shoved aside for people to do what they feel is right. And like any seasoned political talking head, the Levite was able to put his personal spin on the story. His account was self-serving and well-edited to hide any personal wrongdoing. He failed to share the inconvenient truth that he was the one who threw her into the pack of rapists to protect himself. In his mind, he was the brave but wronged man in the story. With no consideration of his guilt in the story, the man demanded that judgment be handed down to those who did this to him. He is the innocent victim. And notice who he calls upon for guidance. Remember verse 7? Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. The people were in charge. The will of the people reigned supreme. God had been forgotten. Judges 20, 8-11 And all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. And we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to bring provisions for the people, that when they come they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. Instead of seeking God's word in the matter, the people hastily make three rash vows. Here's what we know of the vows taken at this time. No one would go home until Gibeah was destroyed. Vow number two, any person or group not participating will be destroyed as well. And vow number three, no one was to give their daughter in marriage to a Benjaminite. So now the people are united. The mission objective was determined. The plans for provisioning the army were made. The battle plans were settled on, and the army moved against the city. Of Gibeah. The mission was to exact revenge for this terrible deed. One man's woman was killed, and so a city would pay the price. When men are involved in getting revenge, then payback must always be at a greater intensity than the original crime. That is why God had given them the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Judges 20, 12 through 17. And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What evil is this that has taken place among you? Now therefore give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Every one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of war. The response of Benjamin was clear. 
Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. The tribe of Benjamin was given the opportunity to turn over the guilty, for they truly had done an evil thing. Instead, they chose the tribe over justice. Kinship was more important than right or wrong. When there are no moral absolutes in the land, then justice and judgment are often administered selectively. A two or more tiered system of justice will be found in every nation or culture that rejects moral absolutes. Let me repeat that. A two or more tiered system of justice will be found in every nation or culture that rejects moral absolutes. Think about your own nation. Does your nation have a two-tiered system of justice? Do you know why that has occurred? Is that a good thing? All important questions to ask as an election draws near. Let's continue in Judges, for the battle is about to begin. Israel with 400,000 and the tribe of Benjamin with 27,000. Judges 20, 18 through 21. The people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God, Who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Then the people of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin. And the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gibeah. People of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. Not that their plans have been made and their intentions set in motion. Then and only then do the Israelites ask God for his guidance. Please note that they don't ask God to judge their decisions. Instead, they simply want to know who is going to attack first. God is a heavenly coin that they could flip when a decision was needed. Now, why would God answer such a request? Why would God not address the situation and get them back on the right track? The Bible makes it clear that after an individual or culture rejects God long enough, eventually God will give them up. Listen to Paul's words as he shares how and why God will allow a culture to march to their own doom and destruction. Romans 1.28 And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Because they refused to acknowledge God, God gave them over to their sin and the consequences to their sin. And what does sin bring? The answer to that question is clear, and it's found in God's Word. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Because they had rejected God, the consequences of the battle would be upon them. God answered their request by calling out Judah to be the first. He was saying, Go fight, but I will not be with you. The first day was a complete disaster. Israel was defeated, and 22,000 soldiers were slaughtered. Now, before we pass over this, let's consider the moms, the wives, the children who experienced grief for the rest of their lives that day. This was a bitter blow to many families. This would impact their future security. It would have brought out a horrible time of mourning. And you might be asking the question, how does a small force defeat this much bigger force? Three reasons are possible. I must confess I'm no military expert, but I have watched the movies Patton and Braveheart. Here are three reasons. One, Benjamin had trained warriors who could attack from a distance with slingshots. We've seen from the story of David 
how powerful that weapon could be. Two, the land was filled with canyons, cliffs, and hills where a large army could not exploit their size. But I believe the real reason is number three. God was directing the action. Judges 20, 22 through 25. But the people, the men of Israel, took courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. And the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening. And they inquired of the Lord, Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. So the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went against them out of Gibeah the second day, and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword. Despite the defeat of day one, the army of Israel rallies and elects to fight another day. Most of the army positions themselves for battle. Again, a few go to the Lord, and this time they add weeping. They ask, Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. Once again, God does not promise His blessing. And day two is simply a repeat of day one. Israel is defeated, and now 18,000 more soldiers are killed. You would think that a rational people would have learned the lesson the first day. Our strategy isn't working. Let's change the strategy. The problem is when you turn your back on God, it becomes difficult to recognize the truth. Why is it that so many people make such terrible decisions year after year after year? Because they can't discern the truth. Believers in Christ have been given the Holy Spirit to provide counsel and guidance. The lost have no counsel, receive no guidance, and they are subjected to the winds of popular opinion and self-delusion. I would imagine that there were at least 38,000 families that were complaining about the decision to go to war with Benjamin now. It's tragic but true. A nation will often continue to reject God while complaining about the cost of their rejection. Judges 20, 26-28 Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. After losing 40,000 soldiers, or 10% of their force in battle, the whole army goes to Bethel to weep before the Lord. This is the third visit to their place of worship in Bethel. The first time, they inquire of God, the God of creation, for His choice. Now they come to the covenant God, the Lord of the nation of Israel, for His guidance. Here's what they want to know. Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? Here's the Lord's answer. Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. Now they are no longer asking simply for God to place His stamp of approval on their decisions. They now ask God, what should our decision be? And notice what the Lord added to his response. For the first time, God promises them victory. Judges 20, 29-45 So Israel set men in ambush around Gibeah, 
And the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day, and set themselves in array against Gibeah as at other times. And the people of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And as at other times they began to strike and kill some of the people in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah, and in the open country about thirty men of Israel. And the people of Benjamin said, They are routed before us as at the first. But the people of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and set themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the men of Israel, who were in ambush, rushed out of their place from Mareh-Gibah. And there came against Gibeah ten thousand chosen men out of all Israel. And the battle was hard. But the Benjaminites did not know that disaster was close upon them. And the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the people of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day. All these were men who drew the sword. So the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they trusted the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. Then the men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gibeah. The men in ambush moved out and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in the main ambush was that when they made a great cloud of smoke rise up out of the city, the men of Israel should turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about thirty men of Israel. They said, Surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. But when the signal began to rise out of the city in a column of smoke, the Benjaminites looked behind them, and behold, the whole of the city went up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the men of Benjamin were dismayed, for they saw that disaster was close upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them, and those who came up out of the cities were destroying them in their midst. Surrounding the Benjaminites, they pursued them and trod them down from Nohah as far as opposite Gibeah on the east. Eighteen thousand men of Benjamin fell, all of them men of valor. And they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon. Five thousand men of them were cut down in the highways, and they were pursued hard to get them, and two thousand men of them were struck down. Out of the fog of war and under the guidance of God, the leaders now come up with a different plan for victory. They will set up an ambush for the Benjaminite army in Gibeah. After a half-hearted attack, a portion of the Israelite army would retreat, and the Benjaminites, smelling another slaughter, would advance after them. When the Benjaminites move out of the city, elements of the Israelite army would attack Gibeah from the rear. The Benjaminites recognize their defeat when they look back and see the smoke billowing from their city. After overwhelming victories where only a handful were lost during the first two days of battle, the tribe of Benjamin now loses over 25,000 men. It's important to remember they started with only 27,000. Judges 20, 46 and 47. So all who fell that day of Benjamin were 25,000 men who drew the sword, all of them men of valor. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the Rock of Rimmon and remained at the Rock of Rimmon for months. Following the defeat, 600 Benjaminite soldiers attempt an escape into the wilderness. The 600 will hide, rest, and wait for the army of Israel. The army of Israel they would turn their wrath and revenge towards the innocent and helpless in the tribe of Benjamin. Judges 20, verse 48. And the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword. 
the city, men and beasts, and all that they found, and all the towns that they found they set on fire. Old men, women, and children were the final victims in the battle. The 600 Benjaminite soldiers who survived the battle hid in the hills rather than risk their lives to defend the women and children. Judges 21, 1-3 Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel, that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? So what happened after the victory? The war was won, but what about the aftermath? How often does a nation enter into war not thinking about the consequences, whether intentional or unintentional? The post-war problem was the extinction of a tribe. The nation's response? They decide to weep and blame God. Here's what they said. Why, Lord God of Israel, has it occurred that one tribe is missing in Israel today? The reason is that they had sworn not to give their daughters in marriage to a Benjaminite, and they had killed every Benjamite girl and woman in their anger. Judges 21, 4-9 And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives for those who are left? Since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives. And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. Israel is now forced to take drastic action as a result of their rash and foolish vows. Nowhere do we read of any discussion of simply breaking their own vows. Instead of admitting they had made foolish and rash vows, they are willing for thousands to die in order to keep their vows. It is amazing how when men are given power without the constraining truth of God's word, their decisions and their vision become more important than the lives of people. The United States has been fortunate because the Founding Fathers recognized the weakness of men and what is possible when power is given to a few. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights were written to constrain the leaders in government and protect the people. Today, the wise observer is able to see how the rejection of the Constitution and Bill of Rights is destroying a nation. Now, the leaders of Israel, when confronted with the foolish vow of keeping their daughters from Benjamin, decide to abide by another foolish vow. Israel goes back to the minutes of their business meetings and discover this oath. For a great oath had been taken that anyone who had not come to the Lord at Mizpah would certainly be put to death. They then go through the rolls and discover one city that didn't turn out for the assembly at Mizpah. While this city was not present to make the vow, they still evidently were under the vow. And the majority of the people, they were simply looking for a way out of their problem without seeking God and without paying a price themselves. We will also see that keeping their first vow for their daughters will cost the lives of thousands. Here's the bottom line. 
In order to solve the problem of almost killing off an entire tribe of Israelites, they agree to kill even more Israelites. This is a nation and a culture that does not value life. They are about to kill innocent people in order to set things right in their own eyes. Mass murder now becomes the convenient way to solve their problem. Sadly, this thinking remains even unto today. Judges 21, 10-12 So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has lain with a male you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead four hundred young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him, and they brought them to the camp of Shiloh, which is the land of Canaan. To protect their vows, the leaders of Israel sent an army of twelve thousand brave soldiers to kill all the inhabitants of the city that did not attend the assembly in Mizpah. Note this. They sent their bravest soldiers to kill the innocents. How sad these men didn't demonstrate real bravery by refusing to obey an unjust and ungodly order. That if the inhabitants of Mizpah did not attend the assembly, then why should they be held accountable for decisions made there? How do people obsessed with their power and their importance seek to solve the problems they have created? The answer? Let someone else pay the price. And if they refuse, why not send the Department of Justice or media influencers against them? All the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead are killed except for the young women who would be used as a gift to the tribe of Benjamin. Biblically, men are to be the protectors of women, not their abusers. Women were not to be targeted in battle, but instead thousands of women and children were killed needlessly. When men do whatever sounds good to them, then biblical priorities are turned upside down. 400 young women have now been harvested at the cost of home and family. All of this to cover up the mistakes of the nation of Israel. Judges 21, 13-19 Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were at the rock of Rimmon and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh-Gilead, but they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the people of Israel had sworn Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is a yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. Following the destruction of Jabesh-Gilead, the Benjaminites are told to come in from the wilderness, and four hundred were given wives to keep the tribe alive. But what about the two hundred who didn't have wives? Verse 15, And the people had compassion on Benjamin, because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. And thus, we see that man's compassion for the, quote, victims becomes a reason to hurt and abuse the innocent. It was decided that the 200 who did not have wives would kidnap theirs during an annual festival to the Lord in Shiloh. Judges 21, 20-22 
And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards, and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in their dances, then come out of the vineyards, and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle. Neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. So here's what happened. The Benjaminites were told to kidnap their wives from the young women of Shiloh who would go out of the city to dance in an annual celebration. The young women had no say in this decision. Here's the bottom line. Kidnapping, forced marriage, and marital rape is now the solution to their problem. The kidnapping solves the problem with a vow of not giving their young ladies to marry Benjaminites. If they are kidnapped, then you didn't give them away in marriage. Listen, everything, literally everything is okay when you are making up the rules as you go. When there are no moral absolutes, when there is no true right or wrong. And when people choose to make their own decisions instead of following God's will, we can see how the rape and murder of a single woman can turn into the death of thousands and the abduction and the rape of hundreds. And now, verses 23 and 24 should be the and everyone lived happily ever after portion of the story. Judges 21, 23, and 24. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned their inheritance and rebuilt their towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. Evidently, everyone returned home happy and content, except for the unmarried women of Jabesh-Gilead and Shiloh, and the families who lost young men in the battle against the Benjaminites. When a nation turns away from God, it soon finds that it can find rest even when violence and evil runs rampant through the land. They probably explained the hurt and violence away by expressing trust in their own leadership. What follows is a summary statement of the chapters and of the entire book of Judges. Judges 21-25 In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When people are allowed to do whatever they want, everything becomes acceptable. For the men of Gibeah, homosexual and heterosexual rape was okay. For the farmer and the Levite, the sacrifice of an innocent woman was okay. For the tribe of Benjamin, it was okay to overlook evil and defend the guilty. For the nation of Israel, killing for revenge and retaliation, massacring innocent people and kidnapping young girls was okay. And it's important to note, all of this evil had nothing to do with idolatry. Did you notice that not one word was written about the people following a false god? A false god cannot be blamed because the evil flowed from their own hearts and minds. The violence and evil began when individuals and then a nation chose to ignore God's word and reject any obligation to follow him. The final chapters of Judges thus have a unifying theme. The nation of Israel needed a king to give them guidance. For without a king, Wickedness was authorized and supported by the will of the majority. Without a king, punishment for wrongdoing was decided based on revenge rather than justice. Without a king, the vulnerable and the defenseless were abused by those in power. And without a king, 
the sanctity of life was abandoned for the convenience of solving problems. What is sobering is that the people dared think that they were doing the right thing. They didn't see their actions as being wrong. They were blinded by their own self-centered focus. Instead of obeying God's word, they were celebrating the rejection of God's law by their own actions. The nation of Israel had lost their moral foundation. Much, much later, Isaiah would warn the nation in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Here's what we can learn from these chapters. Spiritual compromise destroys a nation. The final chapters of Judges, they're a picture of how a nation that is not centered on God's will will descend into moral anarchy. The citizens of a nation that rejects God will live according to what is right in their own eyes and do whatever they please. And when the consequences are seen, they will wonder why things never seem to get any better. This is where you and I come into the picture. You probably live in a nation that has declared the truth of God's word bigoted, old-fashioned, out of step with modernity, or even hate speech. The Bible and the truth of God's word has been removed from college campuses and replaced with a philosophy of life that is the exact opposite of God's word. Today, there are those who will refuse to recognize the evil behind the rape and murder of Israeli women and will refuse to condemn it. Some of these same people lead institutions of higher learning that were once dedicated to teaching the truth of God's Word. Now, these same institutions, founded to train preachers of the Bible, attack the message and worldview of the Bible. As we look back at history, the nation of Israel had done the same thing. But remember, the nation of Israel was not just any nation. It was God's people who had been given God's law to follow as well as God's fellowship to enjoy. As a believer in Christ, you are now citizens in a heavenly kingdom. As a Christian, you have been adopted into the family of God, you have been blessed with fellowship with Christ, and you have been given the Holy Spirit to guide you in following God's word. Here's what the Bible teaches. You have been called into fellowship with God in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 8 and 9, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible also teaches you are to know and obey God's instruction, his manual for life. Joshua 1 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. For the nation of Israel, fellowship with God depended upon whether they needed God to validate their decisions. For the nation of Israel, they exalted themselves into being the captains of their souls. And for the nation of Israel, they believed their majority decisions were sufficient for life. As a result, the people of Israel thought that they could do whatever they felt was right at the time. The consequences of their rejecting God and His Word have been laid out in the book of Judges. Now back to you. If your thoughts and actions are not grounded on the absolutes of God's Word, then you will end up doing whatever you feel is best for you. You need to remember this. 
you reject God's word in your life at your peril. Now, if your ethics and morality are not based on God's unchanging word, then you will soon see your ethics and morality changing as fast as a politician's views when chasing votes. There is but one unchanging foundation from which to build your life and guide your thoughts and direct your actions. That one unchanging foundation is the sole source of truth for every situation in life. And what is the foundation that I'm talking about? That foundation is God's holy word. Do you see the world through the lens of God's word? Or have you traded God's word for your own thoughts or for thoughts that blend in better with the culture around you? The challenges you and I are facing as a nation and as a world are the consequences of leaders and individuals rejecting God's truth and replacing it with an ever-changing system built on lies. The Bible is clear. We are to live obediently to God's Word, and God's Word has commissioned us to tell people about Jesus. We are to be salt and light in our culture. We are to make a difference in our world. We are not simply to point out and weep over the symptoms. We are called to proclaim the only cure for what ails our nation. The only cure for our world is Jesus and the message of Him crucified, buried, and resurrected. Where should you begin? First, place your personal life under the authority of the King. Read, know, and obey God's rules for life. Two, participate in the fellowship of a church and Bible study group that will encourage you to make the right choices in life. What is the only hope for our nation? It's not the right person in the White House, no matter who you vote for. The only hope for America is for God to rule in the lives of its citizens. While we cannot hope to change the worldview of a nation, we are to share the good news with people that we know. The gospel message is the good news that can change lives, and that good news is the only hope to change a culture from rejecting God to accepting the Savior. And remember this, Jesus didn't come the first time to set up an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. A person doesn't enter his kingdom through law or even parental pressure. Jesus becomes Lord and King in a person's life when they personally and humbly accept his forgiveness and lordship over life. That is the good news this nation and your friends need to hear. And your friends need to hear it from you. Here's a challenge I want to leave you with. I challenge you to share the good news of Jesus with someone in the next seven days. Talk to someone about Jesus and even share your spiritual story. Make that a priority over talking politics, sports, family, or work. I want to conclude the study of Judges with this statement. The truth about America, the truth about the world, is not what you will hear from the politicians or even the United Nations. The truth about America and the truth about our world is this. Spiritual compromise will destroy a nation and will cause great harm to the people. We as God's people are not to be silent and watch our neighbors commit spiritual suicide. Imagine the hope that we can bring to our friends who are suffering in this culture. Imagine the change that you can make in the life of a friend by living and sharing the good news of Jesus. We have an opportunity each and every day to respond to the evil, the violence, the heartache we see in this world. We can respond with silence and complain to ourselves, 
how terrible the world is, or we can answer the call of Christ and become fishers of men, sharing the news, the great news, the wonderful news of Jesus, salvation, and hope. Thank you for joining me in this verse-by-verse study through the book of Judges. Thank you for listening to Discover the Bible with Dr. James Harms. I am glad you found the podcast, and I hope you will leave a positive review and share this podcast with a friend. If you would like to learn more about being a follower of Christ, or you have questions or comments about the podcast, I can be reached at the email discoverthebiblepodcast at gmail.com. If you are new to the podcast, I encourage you to check out the other episodes. The book of Judges is a start of a verse-by-verse discovery of truth that will help equip you to stand firm on biblical principles in an upside-down world. Coming in the next year, I will begin a verse-by-verse analysis of the book of Revelation. This series will explain what the Bible teaches about future events, including the rapture, the tribulation, and the coming judgments. Thank you for joining me in this verse-by-verse discovery of truth found in God's Word. And as always, I consider it a privilege to share the truth of God's Word with you.